Girl, you got it. Girl, you got it. Girl, you got it. Girl, you got it. Wow. Girl, you got it. Girl, you got it. Girl, you got it. Girl, you got it. Wow. Girl, you got it. Girl, you got it. Girl, you got it. Welcome back to the Urban Girl Corporate World Podcast. I am your dopest hostess with the mostest, Nicole, and I'm very excited that you chose to get over the hump this week with me. This week, I have a fantastic guest. Um, She's amazingly decorated and accomplished. She is the executive director of the Cyber Project at Harvard Kennedy School's Belfer Center and co-founder of the amazing social media movement, Share the Mic and Cyber, which aims to dismantle racism in cybersecurity and policy. Prior to, she served as an intelligence officer in the U.S. Air Force as a civilian intelligence analyst with the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency assigned to the Office of Counterterrorism, and she completed three war zone deployments. Like, wow. Lauren Zabrick, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nicole. It's really wonderful to be here with you. Man, it's so great to have you. I didn't even realize... Um, that you had done three deployments until I started doing research for this podcast. That had to be absolutely nuts. Um, yeah, it's, I'm trying to think about it right now, you know, especially within the context of what's going on right now with the collapse yeah. of Afghanistan and, and, you know, what it all means. So I'm still trying to work through that, but yeah, it was. I, I like to say it was, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Imagine being forward and, you know, living in, if you're lucky, uh, like a plywood room wow. <laughs> with like, you know, bugs crawling around and things like <sighs> that and having terrible food. But at the same time, you know, you're working a mission and you're so yeah. close to the people that you're working with and, yeah. you know, not sleeping, but, um, yeah, I will always treasure those memories from that. Yeah. Time. I can imagine. Now I'm certain you get sleep, um, at Harvard, or at least I hope so. Can you tell me about <laughs> your role as executive director of the Cyber Project there? Absolutely. So the Cyber Project is a research program within the Belfer Center. So the Belfer mm-hmm. Center is a think tank within the Harvard Kennedy School. And so we do research on various cyber policy issues. When I came into the role, I had just finished my MPA at the Kennedy School, but I had also just come from uh, what was a cybersecurity startup called Recorded Future. And then prior to that, I, you know, as you mentioned at the top of this, that, you know, I'd come from government and the military and that sort of thing. So when I came to the role, I was really thinking about how cybersecurity is national security, Mm -hmm. but really understanding that you know, that it's no longer on the government, you know, to provide that national security. It's really on all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we look at different aspects of that. You know, we look at the international side with norms and conflict and things like Mm -hmm. that, but then we also look domestically too. So really all facets of the problem um, and not just, you know, government, like federal, state, and, and even private sector, but, you know, even down to the human level with things like share the mic and cyber. 
you are literally, so we've got within like the first five minutes, we've got government, we've got education, and then we've got purpose work, right? I, I, I think it's amazing that you are a woman of many hats and many talents. And I don't know that I've ever seen you look flustered. I think that is like such a skill. What wow. inspired you to take on that role? You know, cause you've got a couple like shifts, right? What inspired you to, to, to come into the, the education space or the research space? Well, first, thank you for your such kind words. Um, I feel like someone once told me like, I don't know, swim like a duck or whatever. You just try to like yes. keep it composed up top. Yes. Like seriously, like something like, and I have a lot of imposter syndrome too. And not like the cute mm-hmm. fun, like, mm, you know, should I be here? It's more like, <laughs> oh God, what did I say? Mm-hmm. Was that, you know, who mm-hmm. did I piss off or disappoint or did, you know, do I sound stupid? Like all of that. Right. So I, I mm-hmm. definitely have that. Um, yeah. So what inspired me to come here? Well, much like most of my career, it's been, you know, luck and in preparation, but just, I hate to say this, but sort of falling into things. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly never saw myself here. I never even thought I would go to Harvard. I mean, come on. Right. And now I'm like working here. Like <laughs> was not an Ivy League girl at all. Here I was coming out of Recorded Future. Actually, let's go back to government. So I was okay. leaving government didn't want to leave. I had been Mm -hmm. going to Georgetown uh, to their security studies program um, at night, but I couldn't finish. I was deploying. I was doing shift work. I was doing all this stuff. I was only halfway through after three years. So then I'm having to leave government because my husband got this job up here in Boston. And I'm like, what am I going to do now? I've just invested all this time Mm -hmm. and, you know, energy into this. I found this program up here at Harvard, mid-career master's in public administration. I was like, I'll try it. Mm-hmm. We'll just see. Yeah. Amazingly, I got in. Um, at the time, I was at Recorded Future, and I decided to defer a year so that I can continue there and really to build up um, the public sector customer uh, success side of the business. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, <laughs> as I was like entering into school, I had just had a baby. Um, wow. I was a brand new mom. So we have this summer program as mid-careers and I have a six week old and I'm like, what oh, am I my gosh. with myself? Like here Seriously. I am thinking I could do it all. Right. Just so mm-hmm. silly. So at this time I had been at recorded future for a couple of years. I'm really starting to get interested in cyber policy. Mm-hmm. And so I took this class um, that Eric Rosenbach, my then advisor, now boss, was teaching mm. on cyber policy and cyber conflict and the space kind of in between all that. And I always say two things. One, I was definitely the nerd in the front row, <laughs> raising my it. hand and being super annoying. I love it. But two, as a new mom, I was just out of my mind, like exhausted. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, again, I'm at Harvard. I'm just like, I have to be like perfect. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm like, how can I be on? I have like, now it was at that time, it was a three month old at home. So it was so hard. So I don't know what he saw in me. I really don't, (laughs) but I guess he saw someone who's very interested and perhaps my career background. And so, um, at the same time, the person who is in this role prior to, to me, uh, Dr. Michael Solmeyer, he had just left. So he went to go to Cybercom to advise General Nakasone. So there was this opening. And mm-hmm. in uh, that spring, Eric 
kind of was like, what do you think about doing after this? And I was like, I don't know. I'll probably just go back mm-hmm. to recorded future. He's like, yeah. oh, how about this? <laughs> what? <laughs> I was in shock, Nicole, for like yeah. a day. I was like, are you kidding? Like, I knew it would be life-changing and it truly mm. has been. Yeah, that's a, such an amazing story for so many reasons. Um, imposter syndrome. Oh my gosh. Like a lot of us deal with it. And I don't know that it ever goes away. Mm. Um, I try to focus my energy on doing it anyway. Right. Like if sure, I'll come up with all these things, but then I just try to remind myself of like all the things I've accomplished and why that's not true. And even in the mid, in the midst of fear, just pressing forward and, and then being in spaces that you know, have are of a, of a certain pedigree, right? And feeling like I've got to do more than show up. Like right. I've got to show up and show out. It's, it's amazing the pressure that we put on ourselves only for other people to be in those spaces who are significantly more experienced or our teachers. And they see so much in us that we just didn't even know existed. And I, I, I love that story. And then timing, right? Like who knew that your predecessor was going to be leaving and it just created like what an amazing open space and, and opportunity for you. I think it's, that's such a fantastic story. What I will tell you and that I'm certain you don't know because I've never shared it with you. When I actually, when we first engaged uh, for Share the Mic and Cyber, I was actually looking at cybersecurity programs and there was a graduate certificate program I was looking at at Harvard. And I was like, wow, it's going to be a few years and I've got to take X amount of courses. And Georgia Tech had one. And I randomly mentioned it to you. And you said, oh, is that Eric's course? And I was like, I don't think so. Well, I actually went and found Eric's course and I started um, in less than a month. Yes. So thank you for that inspiration. And as a cohort of Share the Mic and Cyber, I actually got a scholarship from WISP. Yes, to help with that. That's amazing. (laughs) Yes, yes. So I partly, mostly, honestly, have you to thank for it because had I not heard about Share the Mic and Cyber, had I not been selected to participate, I don't want to get emotional. And had I not talked to you, you know, just in passing about that and you introducing, you know, this program that Eric leads, like who knows, who freaking knows. So thank you. That's so, so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I love that. Uh, So let's talk a little bit more about Share the Mic and Cyber because it's really such a strong, I mean, listen, after the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and murders of so many others. And, and, you know, we were talking about this earlier before we got started to just, you know, how, you know, with us being in isolation in the pandemic, it seems to have done something with the way we process, you know, some of so much of what's happening in the world. But, you know, while we saw a lot of organizations speaking up for the first time, probably in my life, right. About we support black lives matter and, you know, racial inequity, while a lot of companies made statements, I didn't see a lot of companies actually knowing what to do, you know, like they would spin up programs and, you know, but I never really saw the ROI from that. And what I love about your program is that it is the ultimate example of allyship. It's the ultimate example of, you know, 
putting your time, energy, and effort where your mouth is. And um, I'm, I'm obviously biased because I've got the opportunity to be a part of it. But can you just talk to me about your motivation to start the movement and, and really what you're seeking to accomplish? So as you mentioned, during this time last year, during the spring, we have the pandemic, we're, we're forced to be at home, we're forced to pay attention. And, and, and yeah, you have these murders that we have to reckon with that, you know, it's not just those, it's, it's part of this long line. Um, I guess there's two, not competing things, but two parallel things happening. So my journey sort of into this space, um, I don't know. I, I've, you know, I grew up for the most part in the Northeast. Um, and I guess I just always thought this is just a problem in the South because that's, that's, you know, it's a small thing, right? It's, it's very mm-hmm. localized and it's, that's not how it is. Right. And yeah. that's something that I've come to come to realize. And, you know, there was this one book that I read while I was at the Kennedy school, I actually sort of, I don't want to say stole it, but like there was a big <laughs> event going on and it was actually for new members of Congress. And I was there mm. and they had a whole stack of these books called Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. And mm. I was like, I'm here. <laughs> There's a whole stack of them. That's Everyone's fine. almost gone. I'm mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. And I'm so glad I did. It was, it was very hard to get through but it was so eye-opening. Mm. Um, and I don't know if it was, you know, because I was a new mom and just like, I don't know, your heart just sort of rips open at that mm. point. And you're like, oh God, like you feel everything. And, mm. and so I just learned so much. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of embarrassed to say that, you know, it took me probably that long to, to get there now. I, so anyway, so there's that. And then um, also, I, you know, I've always sort of looked at things through more of a, a gender equity lens because that, mm-hmm. that was my lived experience, right? I, mm-hmm. as a woman, like in always in a male dominated environment, like that was my struggle. Yeah. And so now I have this, you know, ability to, to really, you know, look outside myself more, but at that time I realized, okay, I have a platform, whether, you know, whether that I really know it or not, but I have a platform mm-hmm. and I've, like I said, I've been looking at things through a gender equity lens. Now I have to really look at things through a racial equity lens because, mm-hmm. you know, this is what we need to do. Yeah. Because I truly believe this diversity is national security. I'm, and I've, mm. I come at everything from a national security per- perspective. And so I'm going to have a person, if I say something, I'm going to do it. Like I can't yeah. just you know, say something and, and not, you know, follow through with action. Mm-hmm. And so um, so I was thinking about it because I had posted something about that on LinkedIn, just thinking about it. And then I saw this campaign on Instagram called share the mic now. And like in that moment, you know how you, when you have a good idea, you just like mm-hmm. feel it. You're like, Ooh, yes. um, and I thought this could really apply to cyber and national security. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, at the same time, Camille Stewart, who I'd never met before, I never even knew who she was, you know, I think was having the same thought. And I saw on Twitter that she had posted this again wasn't even following her, had no idea. Wow, I know. And so she posted something and I DM'd her and literally within two weeks, 
we had thrown something together and we're like, let's just try it. Let's put it out there. (laughs) And I don't think either of us could have imagined what it has turned into. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. I think the last, our cohort, over 33 million impressions. I know. Wild, right? Like what? (laughs) That is bizarre. So can you talk to the audience a little bit about how it works, right? So, you know, getting some of the well-known people, the selection of folks and what they do on that specific day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on the specific day, you have this online conversation where, you know, at first we were really trying to go for very prominent people in the cybersecurity industry. And, you know, those people stepped up, you have people like CEOs, you had like best-selling authors, you had people in, you know, her high up, high up in the policymaking space, they would share their platform, whether it was Twitter or LinkedIn with a black cyber practitioner. And, you know, since then it's evolved a little bit, you know, you don't have to be a very prominent person to share your platform, just more of like a, well, someone from a well-represented background. And, you know, we try to make it easy on people because I think if you make it easy, then people are more likely to say yes. And so, you know, we have all these instructions that we've, you know, amassed and, and, you know, we want the practitioners to essentially preload their tweets or their posts because we're not asking, especially in cyber, right? We're not going to ask people to like share their credentials. Right. Um, so preload that, send that over. And, and yeah, just first this, this online dialogue throughout the day and you have people from the community itself and then also other people who are willing to amplify. And that's where we're really, we look to our, our organizations for amplification and then as, as the events have evolved, we're looking for organizations to get involved somehow, whether they want to support the WISP scholarship that you mentioned or host an event, for instance, maybe it's training, maybe it's, you know, a panel on something to, to show their support. Like for instance, Twitter did um, with Rinky Sethi, they did a whole panel on, uh, on diversity, which was amazing. Google did some interesting things back in October. Just there's so much we can do. And to your point where you say, you know, people are wondering, what can I do? It just all seems so big. We're, this is sort of a way where we offer, like, here's something that you can do. They're small things, but they're actionable things. And they're, they're things that change people's lives, you know, and, and, you know, I think the evidence has been there. Prime example for me, right? I mean, like what, what better way to find such a great opportunity that yields many more great opportunities. And I think this is like the ultimate allyship, right? First self-education, right? Like getting that book, reading that book and, and really being open and honest about, you know, your own perspective as for diversity, right? It, it really, you, you really have self-awareness, which is the second piece to understand like, hey, this is where I've been operating valid because it's been my experience, but I've been educated by myself to see that there's more. And then it's not only the understanding and the awareness, but it's the accountability, right? Like it's not about solving for the whole, but if we all took some accountability and ownership and contributed even something small, like you never know how much of an impact it would have. Like who knew something that you you women put together in two weeks would grow to be this thing that not even two years in has over 33 million impressions. Like, I just, I just think that's phenomenal. And what, what I'm also learning is that 
um, I didn't know a lot of people could participate and, and do like their own small contributions. So now I'm up here thinking like, okay, well, how can I pay it forward back to this program and maybe pull something together for the next round? So speaking of the next round, can you talk to me about where Share the Mic is going? Because I think there's a little bit of a twist on a future state. Yeah. 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 And, and first I just want to say thank you for, you know, your encouragement there on, on allyship. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. So we do have a fourth round coming up and that is focused on public private partnerships. Cause we are trying to think like, what are, what is something interesting that we can really focus on to again, try to put some solutions out there. Well, here's a big issue. Just, you know, amid, uh, you know, these ransomware attacks, these espionage campaigns, et cetera. We have the new executive order. We have Jen Easterly as the new CISA director. We have Chris Inglis as the inaugural national uh, cyber director, right? We have so much going on in cyber, but the whole public-private partnership issue has been one that, you know, people have really worked to try to solve. And so here's where we think we can come in as a grassroots organization to help with that, um, to really bring people together, to help build that trust, to create those connections. Um, so we're really looking forward to that. And we're trying to you know, put together some really interesting things. But as you said, twist beyond that, we are trying to institutionalize this movement in some way, um, because as you may know, it's completely voluntary. It's me, it's Camille, and it's Caitlin Ringrose um, on top of our very busy day jobs. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a mom, like I said, so, um, you know, there's just not a- enough hours in the day or enough coffee to drink. Yes. <laughs> So we want to get it institutionalized. We want to put a full-time staff behind it. Um, We want to create this fellowship with the program and still do events, of course, but have a fellowship for black cyber practitioner professionals um, who, you know, to give these like networking opportunities, professional development, bring them together, give them opportunity to do some research on some areas that they're really interested in. So yeah, we're, we're actively trying to do that. And if that speaks to anyone on this listenership, then, you know, we would love to talk and would love your support for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's fantastic. And I think the program the mission in itself deserves institutionalization. Like it, it really, really deserves it. Do you count Share the Mic in Cyber as one of your biggest accomplishments? I, I know being a mom is obviously top of the list, right? But yeah. you know, do you count it? And, and what are some other things that you're really, really proud of like having accomplished? I do count Share the Mic in Cyber as a huge accomplishment. I mean, beyond just, you know, the reach on Twitter, for me, it's the, the human level impact. Um, you know, we've had so many people share their stories, you know, about how it did impact them. And that just, I don't know, again, I don't know. <laughs> I've become so much more like, I don't know, sensitive to these things that I'm yeah. just, every time I hear a story, I'm like, okay, excuse me while I go and sob <laughs> over here. <laughs> um, so that's, it's been amazing to just, I'm someone who likes to make change. Um, and likes to make a difference. And so I would definitely count Share the Mic and Cyber as one of my top accomplishments. Among my others, certainly going to and getting a degree from Harvard, um, again, while Hello. having a newborn. Yes, especially while having a newborn. 
Yeah. And then, you know, going back to, I mean, the deployment stuff, you know, we can go back to that in a second, but you know, another thing I'm really proud of is making the transition from government to a startup, because it's not only government to a startup, it was DC to Boston uh, Mm -hmm. in the winter, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm. you know, and just leaving just my very, very, very close friends behind and just starting this brand new chapter, you know, basically not alone, obviously, you know, having my husband there, but that was really hard. And I can imagine. I I just, I look back and I'm, I really thought it was going to be one of the worst things ever, mm-hmm. but it turned out to be one of the best things. And so, yeah, it was, it was hard, but I got through that, but yeah, certainly the, the deployments, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a story just, you know, again, since we're sort of on the topic with Afghanistan, you know, I had, I had always been interested in the region, but so 9-11 happens, right? I'm in Air Force ROTC. At the time I thought, oh, I guess, you know, be a pilot or something. I don't know. But then that happens. And I was like, nope, I want to be in intelligence. Mm. And yeah. And so I go into the Air Force and I'm like, okay, this is fine. But it wasn't like, you know. It wasn't it. It wasn't it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I get out, I do a couple years of consulting. I was like, I hate this. So (laughs) going back into the government. And so I joined this, this intelligence agency, NGA that was in, in 2010, in August of 2010. So just, you know, can't even 11 years ago, my little brother, he was an army ranger. So special operations, he was killed in Afghanistan by an IED. Wow. And thank you. But, you know, it's, it's part of my story and how, you know, I got here and, I, you know, as the big sister, I was like, well, I, I have to go and, and fight for him. Right. I have to go to war wow. to do this. So wow. that's how I go to this, uh, this new oh my office. Gosh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I learned, I learned that craft. I learned this new methodology and I became an expert at it. And I said, I'm not going until I know exactly what I'm doing because I will not be a liability out there. Yeah. And I went and I kept going and, you know, it's kind of a younger person's game, um, you know, and so I had to stop at some point. It was affecting my health and, and all this stuff. And so I had to yeah. stop. I would have kept going. I have, I have a friend who like literally went 13 times. She has her wow. body oh armor made. What? Um, yeah, I mean, these are people so dedicated to yeah the mission, right? Yeah. So, you know, in light of what's going on right now, you know, from a strategic standpoint, I think there's a lot to be said and a lot to unpack and and dissect mm-hmm. on the very tactical, the intelligence, the organizational level. Mm-hmm. You know, there were some very dedicated people who came to this mission wanting to help and yeah. wanting to do good. And mm-hmm. um, so I think there's, there's a lot of people who are, are struggling, you know, this week um, yeah. and all this news, but yeah. So it's something that I'm proud of. It's something that, like I said, there's a lot of memories and just like a lot of complex uh, feelings around it. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine, especially because you've been a part of, of that movement of that mission, right? Like it's, 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 it, it's not almost, it is personal to you. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. You know, and, and just 
they're humans, right? Mm -hmm. We're all humans. And I don't know, there's just a lot of humanity, I guess you can Mm -hmm. say that we're all just trying to deal with, you know, in the last couple of years. So yeah. yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. If if anybody would have said any of the things that have happened over the past maybe 18 months, like I, I, I wouldn't have believed them. I yeah. wouldn't have believed them. So in, in the realm of diversity, there have been, there's been an emergence maybe over the past five to 10 years of really being able to understand the skills that folks who come from the government sector and how that can really be beneficial in corporate spaces. Transitioning from government to startup, it sounds like my head would explode because in layman's terms, in my mind, I'm thinking of government, I'm thinking of discipline, I'm thinking of order, I'm thinking of consistency. And when I think about startup, I mean, I'm thinking wild, wild west, everything, but talk to me about like that transition for you and, and, and what that experience was like. Sure. I, it's funny that you would think that. I think the, the, the way you describe the government is more about how I think about the military. Um, mm, government, maybe not so much. It's more, you know, there's a lot more bureaucracy, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and yeah, to go from that to a, a situation where it's like, hey, if you see something that needs to be fixed, just yes. do it. You know, and there's not all these rules and things to worry mm-hmm. about. Just do it. So, yeah, it was it was a huge transition. I mean, that aspect I really did love because I'm yeah. you know, I try to be very action oriented. I think what what was the hardest was you know leaving this sense of camaraderie. Mm. Now. You know, after a year or so at Recorded Future, then I I felt that like I got that again, you mm-hmm. know, from the people that I was working with, which is which was really great. So yeah, it's and then you know, to go from the startup world then into academia, that's been another transition. That's another transition, right? Yeah. If you had to pick the three of the three, which is has been your most favorite and which has been your most challenging? Mm. They've all had those aspects. Yeah. Everything was challenging, but everything was great. Everything has like changed me in such a way and, and brought me to like this particular moment, you yeah. know? So, so everything yeah. has its, its different yeah, challenges, but opportunities for growth. A theme that's popped up during, during our conversation today has been threat intelligence, threat intelligence and cybersecurity obviously go hand in hand. As I work as a business information security officer, and a lot of the work that I do, because I'm not a traditional technologist, is leveraging threat intelligence and looking at historical patterns and trends um, to determine what initiatives I want to create and partnerships and collaborations with the business. How did you find threat intelligence different in the government space um, versus the corporate space? And have there been any lessons learned or expertise that you were able to leverage from one to influence um, the other? Yeah. Well, I will say in the last, you know, five years that I was in government, I was in an office that did things very differently. Having seen other sort of organizations do things that were more traditional, Yeah. but I took a lot from that, you know, five-year period of experience. There were Mm -hmm. so many lessons learned. 
And I've actually tried to apply those to this recent paper that I just released. It's called Toward a Collaborative Cyber Defense and Enhanced Threat Intelligence Structure. Okay. Um, as I am coming out of government, right, I've been doing this stuff, going overseas. Then I come to the private sector and I'm brand new to cyber, by the way. I've never even done cyber before, <laughs> before going to record a future. So I, I feel I'm, seen. I feel seen. <laughs> yeah, I'm so grateful to Christopher Alberg and Scott Donnelly for, you know, taking a chance on me. But I always say, like, you know, I, I think they needed bodies, but they knew I was an analyst and, you know, could figure it out. But so I'm watching the space evolve. So this was, what, January of 2016. And watching organizations and companies try to do this. They're like, oh, government's not coming. We have to do this ourselves. Wait, what? (laughs) And so, you know, they have limited budgets. What do you spend money on? Do you spend money on people, on tech, on data? Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're asking like, what should we spend our money on? Yeah. And so it's a weird time. They're just trying to figure this out. And, and so that experience really led me to, to want to be in cyber policy. I'm like, we got it. We, there's like, we do this better somehow. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was really interesting to watch all of that. So this, this paper that I came out with just, again, these are just some ideas to, you know, cause I think that having more of a collaborative networked approach could help us to scale the capabilities that we do have. And so I really wanted to push that, but you know, some of the ideas in there, it's things like how to create this culture shift. And one of the, the biggest things that I took from government, again, from the office that I was in was empowering your people. It is all about the humans. Humans are the ones who do the work. They do the hard analysis, right? Machines will never be able to do that. Now machines can help. Machines can help with that rote sort of those tasks, like things that can be automated in in Mm -hmm. some way. It's all about the humans. But if you're putting, you know, these, these burdens on analysts, like arbitrary production numbers, for instance, Mm-hmm. Then the the goal is that the goal is the number. The goal is not to, you know, be entrepreneurial, to share, to work together, to collaborate. And yeah. so I looked to the leadership. We had really great leadership in that office at, uh, that I was speaking about where I was that said, you know what, don't worry about numbers, mm-hmm. focus on analytical outcomes. But, and which, you know, then I think led to some, you know, operational successes. And that was such a game changer. It Mm -hmm. was, it really was, it's, you know, and I still think that people aren't focused enough on the people issue, you know, they're agreed. It's still focused on tech and, and numbers and things like that metrics, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So the question is always, how do you get your people to go from, um, you know, uh, you know, stovepiped, you know, to metrics oriented to problem solving. Right. And that's what we're here to do. Yes. So. I love that. I love that. I, when I first came into tech, into cyber, I was really nervous because I'm like, I don't have all these degrees and these certifications. So my approach was very practical. But what I noticed was a lot of the tech issues that we have are people issues. It's not... <laughs> It's not, right? Right. Their habits, 
there are misconceptions and there's just so much opportunity for learning. And I think when organizations really begin to understand that, right? I mean, it's it's the basis of social engineering, right? And and, and I pulled up the, the paper and, and one of the first things I see is solar winds. You know, we talk, I was talking to um, a CISO who's gonna be on this, this season. And he was saying, he's like, you know, a lot of folks think that there are these highly sophisticated attacks. They're not. They're people missing a bunch of small things, right? right. So it's, I totally, totally agree and appreciate um, that thought process. And I'm, I'm really hoping that we see that across um, this industry a lot more because our technology ecosystem and security ecosystem is at risk if, if we don't. Mm-hmm. Um One last thing I want to ask you about, you mentioned diversity is a a national security issue. Can you expand upon that? What does that mean? Yeah, you know, I will say, I think Camille Stewart really wrote about this the best in her CFR article, but essentially, if you have this national security problem, right, and, and look, national security is no longer about defense from, you know, terrorism or a nation state, right? It is things like cybersecurity. It is public health. It is economic Mm -hmm. security. It is everything that we're dealing with right now. These are all issues of national security. And so if you have just the same sort of demographic working on these, these hard problems, then you're missing these perspectives on how to approach the problem, on what the problem means for, you know, different groups of people or, or even things that we're not thinking about yet. And then you're missing the ability to provide new solutions. And so again, that's what this is all about is solving the hard problems. You want the best people at the table and it is not going to be that same demographic. You need everyone. And so we really need to start, um, you know, looking at, at how we you know, do prize, you know, certain traits, right? Like what is, you know, if we're looking at, you know, maybe how, you know, where we've recruited from in the past, you know, what does elite mean? Well, we think it's the ability to, to think on your feet. We think it's the ability to have courage and grit and, um, you know, look at problems in a new way. So, we need to have different thinking. And again, it, it still comes back down to focusing on your people, taking care of your people, ensuring they're empowered, enabled, and again, taken care of. I love that. It's true because to your point, the issues and the challenges that we face are diverse. And so we need diverse solutions from diverse people to dismantle them. Exactly. Lauren, you are amazing. I have thoroughly enjoyed having you are this conversation too, today. <laughs> Thank you. Can you tell me, me where can people go and register or learn more about the next round of Share the Mic and Cyber? So we have a brand new website. It's just www.sharethemikeandcyber.com. Um, and that is a place where you can see all of our information. We have um, our articles, we have um, events coming up. We have information about past rounds, but more importantly, there's a place where you can sign up either as an organization. And we have two categories there, uh, partnering and ally organizations, as well as um, to sign up as a practitioner or an ally. Um, and then we'll be reaching out to people who have signed up. 
Awesome. So make sure you all check out www.sharethemikeincyber.com. Offer your support. I'm definitely going to go and figure out how I can contribute to the next round because I'm just so proud of this program. Lauren, so great to speak with you as always. And I just look forward to seeing all of your future successes and wins. Thank you, Nicole. And I look forward to the same. It's been just awesome to be connected with you and, and yes. watch what you're doing in this space. Thank you. And you're going to have to give me some cheat sheet notes for uh, Eric's class so I can make sure I do <laughs> Here's, Here's, you know, just be ready. He loves to cold call. Okay. Okay. Good. Very, very good to know. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go prepare for my cold call. That's it for this week's episode of the Urban Girl Corporate World Podcast. I'll see you here next week. Girl, you got it. 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 Girl, you got it.